you know, to a lot of people out there, it's going to be like, duh, how could you not think of that? But that's because probably they have that experience or they have been around somebody who did, right? That's generally how we learn is by messing up. Mm-hmm. And, and if I did more than one elk hunt a year, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'd learn that quicker. Right now, we are purposefully just having conversations. I want you to feel, I hope our audience will feel a part of that conversation. Um, but that, 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 that might get old at some point, and, and just know we've got some great guests lined up, and, uh, and uh, we're going to get on some specific subject matter. So, with all that being said, uh, let me introduce you to our fourth episode. Uh, we will put in the description some times for some specific topics if you want to go to those topics or please listen or watch uh, the whole thing if you like. But thank you for being here. Here's our conversation. I had a realization of my self-sabotage on my last elk hunt. I had a realization of my self-sabotage. Um, I couldn't kill an elk, my deep psyche told me, because I was struggling to carry my backpack with just my stuff in it. You know, like my coat and my lunch and my water mm-hmm. and everything. I was just struggling hiking up into the mountains a mile or a mile and a half um, to spots or, or if I did, you know, kind of walked around and did like eight miles one day, which people do 15, 20, and they do all kinds of mileage. Um, but I was struggling with my pack. I was fighting my pack. Now I had recognized on a previous elk hunt how I had potentially self-sabotaged. And I've actually heard some hunting uh, podcasts uh, that's kind of introducing this self-sabotage you know, concept, this subtle psychological thing that's keeping somebody from pursuing. And it might be, and again, this is not my psychology take. I heard this you know, on just an elk hunting podcast. Um, it might be the main reason a lot of us aren't getting our elk. And maybe not even a bad reason, because it's just part of that learning curve. But specifically what I realized is that, so I thought I was struggling with laziness. I was just being lazy. And then, no, I'm not lazy. I'm struggling with the cold, because it was cold. And that was, see, what we do is we got these layers, and we tend to go with the most obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Right, and then we just stop. So, okay, I need to get better used to the cold. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but since that trip, I don't hardly use my heater. It's 64 degrees in my house right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get better used to just being in the cold for extended periods of time and being comfortable. By the way, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It can be 68 degrees outside, and I'm in a t-shirt. I come in the house. It's 68 degrees, and everybody's wrapped up in blankets, and I got to put on a mm-hmm. fleece and a coat. Like, man, the power of the mind, right? So, okay, it's the cold. So I need to get used to the cold. I need to go spend a bunch of money on better clothes. I mean, literally, I was looking at pant layering systems that were in the six, seven hundred thousand dollar. Six or seven hundred okay. to a thousand dollars. Yeah. Six, seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. If it got the whole setup. And I'm like, I guess I got to do it. Because good gear is a part of what, of do I have what it takes. Mm-hmm. We can overcome good gear with being totally super duper awesome, but I'm learning that I'm not totally super duper awesome. I need some gear. Um, So then it was cold. Okay, no, it's not the cold. It's because I want to do all this journaling and writing about this psychological stuff, right? That was good too. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, that's just an excuse. It's not that. It's not the cold. It's the altitude and the elevation. And I am a lowlander and I wasn't as good a shape. But I really do believe, and I can't articulate this as well as it hit me initially. You know, that happens to us. But I was listening to something. He said something about training, and I realized, here's the mistake I made. So I did ruck a lot before my trip. And I was pretty discouraged on the trip because I would be hiking out of the woods, and I would be miserable with this ruck on. Hurting physically, discouraged, because I'm like, 
I've got like 20 pounds maybe in my ruck. I'm, if I kill an elk, I'm going to have like 60, 50, 60 pounds. I can't do it. And, and so maybe that's why I sabotaged because I was struggling with the ruck. But I'd made a basic training error. I didn't train like you fight. That's what we said in the Army. Train like you fight. Mm. Like I hated wearing the helmet mm. in the Army. Right? When we would train. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to wear the helmet when you're out in the field, you should wear it. We should have worn it more, not less. We should have been wearing it inside. Mm-hmm. We should have worn the thing all the time. We should have worn it while I was taking a bath, you know, um, until it no longer bothered me. Um, here's what I did. Here was my training error. I rucked and rucked and rucked before my trip. And I did what people do in counseling all the time. I knew one little factor was going to be different when I was on the actual elk hunt. But I said to myself what people say. Something like, ah, it'll be okay. Ah, it's good enough. And you know what that was? You know what ruined me? The thing that I would have killed the elk with. What I didn't do in my training, but I did on the trip, was it got me this last little fancy sling system that goes on the side of my rucksack that holds my rifle Mm. and added eight pounds to one shoulder Hmm. because it's on one side. Yeah. And that difference made all the difference. But not, because I'm not articulating this well. What I struggled with is... Part of me felt like, man, I'm struggling with this pack and it's not even that loaded down. What's going to happen when I have a heavier load? But then I would struggle, like, but I carried heavy loads like that in my training. So I'm not even saying I self-sabotaged because of the fear of the heavier load. I self-sabotaged because of a, a mental thinking error that came from an actual training mistake, physical training mistake. Because if I would have, of course, the obvious the reason I didn't do it, I wasn't going to put my rifle in my mm-hmm. rucksack and walk through my neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? But you know what I kept thinking the whole time is I need to go over to Academy and buy one of them 10-pound weight bars and put it in it. Mm-hmm. And I'll do that next week, and I'll do that next week, and I'll do that next week, and then the trip came, and I never did it. Mm-hmm. So I even knew I should do it, mm-hmm. but it'll be okay. And again, this is what I hear people in their stories, no matter what they come to counseling for. Mm-hmm. There's generally an element of, I actually knew that doing this thing 95% wasn't going to be enough. I needed to add this one little piece, but I figured, oh, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll get to that later. I'll have that conversation later. I'll build that skill later, right? Um mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then that practical thing gets into our thinking errors. Mm. And that's what, and it becomes a shameful thing. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? I'm a loser. I didn't train hard enough. I didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't well, that no. I didn't train hard enough. Yeah. I didn't train correct enough. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, I can have grace for that because, you know, to a lot of people out there, it's going to be like, duh, how could you not think of that? But that's because probably they have that experience or they have been around somebody who did, right? That's generally how we learn is by messing up. Mm-hmm. And, and if I did more than one elk hunt a year, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'd learn that quicker. So by the way, earlier you said wisdom comes with time. Well, here's how the way I think people are saying it. I hear a lot now and I really like it. Um, wisdom comes with repetition. Time being the most one of the most default ways to get repetitions. Right. Now we Experience. can we yeah. can hack that by getting increasing our ability to get repetitions. So in this learning curve thing, um, so I learned this little but huge implications lesson. Because of my situation, because of my factors, that is a year-to-year lesson learned, which has its negatives in that it's going to be a year before I get to enact this lesson learned. Mm-hmm. and means my mm-hmm. 
tangible success mm-hmm. is probably going to be longer. But I can accept that as long as I understand that. Randy Newberg says six hunts. Yeah. Why? There's a yeah. reason for it. That's probably yeah. a big reason. Yeah. And, and well, he says six years. I, well, that's what I meant. Sorry. Well, six no, seasons, no, six seasons, or right, or yes, because uh, six seasons. Because, no, but, but again, good Freudian slip. No, so you said it perfect. I'm glad yeah. you said it that way, because he lived in Montana. Mm. So that's actually my point. If I lived in a place where I could go elk hunting on the weekends, then I could apply this lesson learned next weekend. That's true. Yeah. You see, and so that's that repetitions thing. So sometimes mm-hmm. repetition is age. A lot of times it's setting. Mm-hmm. You know, we may just be in a setting, just born in it or, or chose to move to Time it. Time is not going to, uh, the word is experience. So, so because experience to say, hey, that happens this, or it can happen long. Because to your point, and I've wondered that. I'd like to ask Randy. I've I've said this on camera. He can respond and let us know. When he says six seasons, does he mean five days in each six season? Because that's what the Texan that goes to Colorado Mm -hmm. gets is five to seven days. Or does he mean six Montana seasons in which I hunted almost every weekend, and and Montana's famous for its long seasons, so. So really, my six seasons are going to be, I mean, literally, could be Mickey's 30. Yeah. I mean, really could in, in number of days. Yeah, multiplier. And the ability to, you know, again, he could, apply, he could learn a hard lesson one weekend and apply it the next, if this is, some can, whereas, you know, i got to wait a year. Um, but that's not totally disadvantaged, though, mm-hmm. because I have a year to train up to it. Mm-hmm. Now, will I take advantage of that full year? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. There's a strong possibility that I will not, right? And may just train for a week extra anyway. But I do have the possibility to really drive that home. And here's why this applies with a lot of things we've talked about. The growth curve in life has very much the ability to be very exponential. Very exponential. Meaning... We may struggle and suffer and barely move for a long time. But if we're also obliviously, accidentally on purpose, which is fine, or very distinctly because we're doing mental health training, because we're so anxious and depressed that we need to, Either way, or any of the infinite iterations in between, if we are accidentally on purpose or on very much on purpose, laying, as it would be called in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, production capacity building, right? Mm-hmm. Our growth curve can hit on a couple of key things and just explode. And actually, not only is this possible, it's often how it works. We particularly see it in artists, uh, musicians maybe as an example. You know, nobody's ever heard of me. Nobody's ever heard of me. I got my little following. I'm super world famous all of a sudden, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, but that's, you know, because or I heard an author, you know, um, on a podcast saying, yeah, I know it's popular to say that if you want to ever really write your book, you've got to write a thousand words a day. Um, I say that you can write a book in a month or two if you are writing your book. He, he said, I, you know, I know I should say, the, the, the interviewer had asked him, you know, how did you do it? And he's like, I know I'm supposed to say I finally committed to writing you know, a thousand words a day for the last year, but I actually uh, took some time off and wrote this book in a month. But I've been writing the book for 20 years. Anybody that knows me and has been to dinner parties, they've heard me yapping about this forever, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we can do that with our lives, you know. We, yeah. But it does take some sort of linchpins, some bridges, mm-hmm. some things that, that do kick it into gear. Mm-hmm. Often that is disciplines. Mm-hmm. To be quite honest, I mean, often it does come down to, or Stephen Pressfield would call it, do the work. And many have written books, you know, about that. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we do have to just lock her down for a little while. And again, mm-hmm. that can be on a mental health thing, a spiritual health thing, diet thing, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, well, a, and a also training too, thing. like um, you know, uh, who was saying it? Who was talking about this? Talking about you know, like how reading, you know, beyond the cliche is the unlocking. That's the shortcut is reading. It just is. So the thing is, is that you have a year. So talk about seasons and talk about you saying the seasons or whatever. So. I mean, Tony Robbins says, uh, in personal power, um, he says you take action, which mm-hmm. is the doing, um, and then you, in, in halfway into this definition of personal power, it says you get a mentor. Mm-hmm. But the mentor, you never actually have to meet. So I would say mentor could be mentor slash the seeking of the wisdom. Like I would say Randy right. Newberg is so, my elk hunting So my mentor. thing is, is that... Because uh, well, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking, one, you hire somebody to go with you in your first year, and maybe now you don't have six seasons. Which, by okay, the way, is do. And, and, right. and, and that is a well-known um, um, thing in hunting and fishing for choosing whether you DIY or hire a guide. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's pretty much agreed upon you would up your DIY if you'd get a guide first. Right. But, but me and many others say, well, that is correct. But I'm still not going to do it. <laughs> you can do it. Well, and I'm saying, but the but the other way, without if you're not doing it, is you spend a year reading tons and tons of things, listening to tons and tons, reaching out and talking to people. You can still you can still do that in between because you are in Texas and you do have to wait yeah, you, you a whole can, year. You can so elk hunt you, every day of the year. Yeah, that's my point. And so yeah. the other thing is, is that. You, you mentioned the, the one lesson you have to wait a whole year on, but the thing is, is that the next year, you're like, there's the other there's lesson. There's the next one. That's next exactly lesson, right. right. And so here's the thing. I don't, can, even, I don't even know what that no, lesson that's right. is. You don't know it. I'm and probably so, not even capable of knowing. But in the seeking of wisdom and in the thing of the gathering, whatever, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you're consult, you know, I'm consulting a client and um, I say, hey, if you have any questions, let me know. And they'll say, you pretty much answer them before I ask them. You know, getting a mentor or going through that process of seeking the wisdom is you may knock out those unknowns, but not realizing you've knocked them out. So there might have been three things that have been an issue the next elk hunt, but because of in the year you had the elk hunting every day and all mm-hmm. those different other approaches, um, in the you know in that mentoring exercise, yeah, yeah, he might say because you know it comes out as oh by the way something I wish I'd have known when I was learning this that no one told me. People say that all the time. Take one of them little packages of baby wipes with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I'm saying though. Yeah, for like, sure. um, and it's like you didn't have to learn the hard lesson. They learned the hard lesson, and then they just passed it on to you. Yeah, because you know that whole uh, don't don't just make mistakes and learn from them. Just learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. It probably helps you. Oh, for um, well, that is. And I say mistakes, but you but, know what I'm saying. But, but that's just how in that trial. You, that's how you hack and get more you know, repetitions. Right. Without your own time, you you kind right. of beg, borrow, and steal from their repetitions. because yeah. because you, you have to deal with things um, every year, uh, like the altitude. So it's like, that's, that's always, because even people who like, you know, are all altitude, uh, uh, you know, in Colorado, they come to Texas for two months, three months, they lose it. You can't keep it. So it's not like, I, I don't know the, the training regiment other than just getting out of breath and getting, you know, whatever, but, but you're going to be thrown into it every yeah. year. Yeah, that's and that's always a factor. It, I live at four hundred and sixty-three feet, it just is. and I'm going to right. You know, so, but you there's know, things like, I can do to do it better. There right? is because, by the way, I know. ignore I ignored a major rule. I, uh, I, you're supposed to spend your yeah. first night uh, as close to eight thousand feet, but not over eight thousand feet. And you I didn't went do it. Away. I you went, went to ten. I went about to nine yeah. and just stayed at nine the whole time. Had a headache the whole time. You didn't acclimate. Yeah, you didn't yeah. acclimate. I didn't get myself. You know, and you need whatever. that break. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also didn't know that Wilderness Athlete, who, if you know, they'd like to sponsor me for my elk hunt next yeah. year. Uh, but but spo- Let me ask you this. Spo- spoiler alert, Wilderness Athlete, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to buy it anyway. Um, so but they have, a, they have a supplement yeah. that mitigates. And by the way, in counseling or mm-hmm. at altitude or any of this stuff, but this apply- often all we can do is, is chip away at it a little bit. Like, like there is my understanding, there's no way to beat the altitude disparity. But I can definitely chip away at it a little bit. And, and if, you know, the way I tell clients is, life is, is much more like this 
you know, than, than flat. It's much more peaked mm-hmm. for those that can't see me. And, and so you may only have to go 4%. You only got to go to go from 48 to 52. And then the slope's real steep on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. So my point is I don't have to get awesome at altitude. I just got to get a little bit better. And then my natural resources and my fitness mm-hmm. and all this stuff kick in. I'm just on the wrong side of the tipping point. And it's so, just too much. So the when you went to the elk hunting, uh, what is that called? The, the one you participated in in the season? Um, second season over the counter. Second that, season over the counter. Yeah, I didn't have to draw what are the par- And so what are the parameters of second season over the counter? Uh, the dates. It's yeah. got the specific season dates. They were this past year, October 30th or 31st, or like the 6th, I think, Okay, so November. did you take advantage of the whole days, the 30th through the... Okay. No, I'm saying, but when did you get there? When did you get there? But see, this is is really important, actually. This is a great lesson learned that you're asking because over-optimism, right? So, but balance with work, right? So... Yeah, real life. I I don't want to go too early because i got to work, but I would like to get there a couple days early. Mm -hmm. This is standard practice. Uh, Get there a couple of days early to scout and acclimatize. Mm. Right? So win-win. Yep. Right? Can't do too much, though. I did struggle with it a little bit, though, because second season is pretty long mm. um, relative to the other season. Some call it like first season's five days, second season's seven days. So I did actually have the thought, why go scout? Maybe I should just get there and just be hunting the whole time. But then over-optimism. Mm. Well, I'll scout for a couple days, and then I'll have the whole seven days. Right, mm. which means I'm gonna be gone for ten days, right? Mm-hmm. Which would be fine in idealism land, and many can do that. But many, for many, that's just overwhelming. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of different reasons. I was recent. I was newly engaged. I'd gotten engaged like three weeks before that. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to see my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm getting. I'm getting notifications because unfortunately every once in a while I can get emails and all of a sudden my son is getting like 23s on all his math work, right? And I'm getting these wonderful emails from the school that are letting me know this, right? And I'm like, well, you're making 90s when I left. Now you're making 23s. Um, You know, so, so, you know, it became, my point is I go early, fail to acclimatize because I didn't follow the basic rule, just that one little rule. See, again, a lot of times, little thing, little attention to detail, right? Don't follow that one rule, get behind on acclimatizing, and it becomes that much easier to decide five days in instead of using the full seven days, I'm done, I'm going home. And I'm not going to lie, some regret, mostly not. I'm glad I came home. I I was scheduled to be off, so I had a couple days off at home with my uh, with my fiance. It was awesome, you know. Um, but I can't wait for next season to get some more days and repetitions, you know. Awesome. Well, that's really good stuff. So you want to hear about? Well, we have time to hear about this uh, Tolkien story. Yeah, let's do um, that. I want to. And it is, <laughs> regardless of how everyone finds us, you know, I'm a big lover of uh, all things Tolkien. Me too. Uh, And really enjoying jumping into the books that I've never read. I mean, there's the one, you know, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Uh, But jumping into, like, deeper... Yeah, what's that other one you said about um, the elves? Called Silmarillion. Okay. uh, Which is more world-building and history. Mm, mm, mm. So he tells a lot of... Basically, how about... It's really freeing. He told stories without having to worry about dialogue and character development. Mm -hmm. So he's telling histories, you know. So, um, which is really cool. So it reads more like a history book. Um, okay. And even has dates and things. But he That's tells cool. it over thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, he's building mythology. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he starts from there's nothing, and then there's a god. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, creates, like, you know, we'd call, like, gods of Olympus or whatever. Anyways, that's not what this all is about. But, but by the way, that's what we're doing. We're you building know, a mythology of our life. life. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just digging into this thing. And... Um, a big part, which is really hard when you're jumping in, we talked about this. I asked Mickey if he was, hey, have you read Lord of the Rings? And he's like, man, I got 100, 100 pages in. And uh, it's like, 
you know, this could have been a whole book by now. Um, and that's a frustration people sometimes when they jump into Tolkien is like, he sure spends a lot of time uh, with characters who are going through, you know, the plots and stuff, but they sure stop and, and uh, he, he writes about them eating meals together and smoking pipe weed and, and like the leisure part of this. As a counselor, um, as a counselor that, yeah. that inclusion of the weed uh, yeah. is a struggle. <laughs> but, uh, and to defend myself, yeah. by the way, I read that Lord of the Rings, or attempted to, yeah immediately after I had finished The Hobbit, which yeah. is like, I don't know what, like a million pages long or something? Well, The Hobbit's really light, and it's uh, it's different, and it gets real, and, but Lord of the Rings is much more dense. It's just a little exhausting yeah, exactly. by so, the end. And... Um, yeah, you know, so like sometimes you want to get, get, hey, get to the story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story does get to the story. I'm feeling a little embarrassed and self-conscious right now, so I'm just trying oh, to... Oh, no, but that happens. that's why I said a lot of people who try to read Tolkien, you know, yeah. kind of get like... Why is he telling a story about sitting around the fire and eating yeah, and yeah. the hobbits talk about eating all the time? But it plays into a bigger picture because um, in Tolkien's world, there is an appreciation for being, not just doing. Mm-hmm. And the appreciation of uh, things as they are versus having to own everything or subdue everything. You know, like subdue the earth is you know, a biblical term or whatever. Um, not saying it's a bad thing, it's often good, but it's actually also very important that we appreciate. Maybe appreci- art appreciation, that's why they call that in, in college, art appreciation. Yeah. That it's wor- there's things that are um, important as just appreciation, and I was thinking... Just good stewardship. I was thinking, you know what, The if there's any, even outside stewardship, I mean, it's it, you have to have stewardship, so I'm not trying to just... Dis- Credit that point. It's a very good point. So I'm sorry to you know, not saying going away from it. No, no. But the point I'm making is, is that uh, looking at how Tolkien looked at, and he called it Middle Earth, but it was you know Earth, is that, um, you know we talk about public lands. The necessity for public lands is for the necessity to appreciate, just because of the of how it is. Hmm. So it's it's like saying. Um, well, you know, private ownership's good, so we should make everything private ownership. Well, if everything was privately owned, we would lose the ability to appreciate for what it is versus the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, right. There so there has to be a contrast. So, and none of this, by the way, is a political. This is not a political. I'm not making political comments. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying public lands do exist today, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they exist, that's fine, you know? And, and there's a lot of, deba- I, get, I get that there is debate on it, but I don't have to be that. I can just go, hey, I can go appreciate public lands because they already exist. Yeah. You know, people can squabble about it, but um, the thing is, is that it's like uh, we need the ability to go um, into nature. We do need that. It's just okay? a fact. As yes. a respite mm-hmm. from modern life and struggles and all those things. Um, and we have the blessing to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. I mean, the half of the United States, literally almost from the middle to the west, is mostly public lands mm-hmm. or a good portion a of huge that, percentage, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they came to that realization about 70, 100 years into the public or something to that effect where they began to, to maybe even longer, right? The, the whole public land things began about, a hundred. was it 100 years after? Sort of depends on how right? you look at it. Um, Making, But they recognized at a certain point because well, at one that point, is why the, that's why the eastern half of the United States is mostly private owned and then the other half is to public a, land to so, a degree. So, so the see, movement to officially declare it as... Is to is staying public land in perpetuity. Now, at one point, it was all public land. Yes. Right? So, yeah, so, so there actually was this. You know, um, uh, it was all public. You know, um, and then ranchers. You know, and people. Right. Uh, so then to protect it, yes, really. Yeah. You know, it wasn't totally Teddy Roosevelt. Won't give him exclusive credit, but you know, think Teddy Roosevelt. Era. So, so yeah. just to tie it all again and go, hey, what's yeah. this hunch fish thrive thing? As I was thinking, is. Um, and I was tying it to like nutrition or whatever a little bit is another thing too. So it's like um, we, you know, there are times where maybe you should fast. They mm-hmm. talk about that mm-hmm. and we're learning scientifically. There's some, somehow there is some restorative elements that the body can do only in a fasted state. You're like, why can't your body, is it just going to heal slower? If you, No, it needs the absence of calories mm. for a certain period of time for certain uh, biological processes 
And, you know, if anyone wants to comment and give, you know, more specifics if I'm uh, a little off, on it, that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. To happen uh, are these times of fasting. <clears throat> we're not going to enter a time where we just stop eating completely. That's stupid. So we're not ever going to appreciate, we're just not going to get to a place where we only just appreciate everything just because that... So it's not like we're saying, I think that's often said, oh, you're for public land, so you must mean you don't believe in any kind of ownership, which is not true. Yes. Right? But on the flip side, um, I think that's where we uh, people, I think where people can come together, I guess if there is disagreement to understand is that the public lands is a good, is a good gift that we have um, to go out and it's the fact that it exists is enough of a reason for it to exist because it needs to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Right? So um, it's kind of similar to, and this is a dumb example. I don't even, if this is, doesn't work, then we'll just, I'll just, you know, edit later and say I was incorrect. But they'll say this about historically like Wrigley Field. Again, this is not, and all of a sudden that it just got modernized with all of this modern signage. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't even know if they revert it or not. But when I went and saw Wrigley Field in the 90s, I mean, it was the way it had been for a long time. And it had the, you know, iconically the ivy on the walls and, the, and just the seating the way it was. But then something happened where now, it, you know, it has all these billboards. Yeah, and it just... It changed it. Even though that was just like every other field. Right. It, 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 it wasn't that, Wrigley Field. It lost its you, identity. You needed to go and experience yeah. Wrigley. So for its uniqueness, it, uniqueness, you yeah. know. And so um, we live. Like there in is the, something about that one canyon that makes it grand. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. You yeah. Know? You change. So I mean, not just its size. It just. And I get it, this could be a very cliche thing of appreciation. I'm just tying it from reading Token to go, hey, here's another opportunity for us because in modern our modern world, I kind of tied this to saying, well, we don't even have to talk about. Well, I'll say this, tying it to fasting, we need to get away and appreciate and be versus do, because we're all about doing all the time, but we do need times where we're sitting and appreciating or just being uh, Hunt for Strive that is out mm-hmm. in, in the, you know, out experiencing uh, nature as we're uh, in that pursuit of fishing and hunting. As, right? by the way, the fishing and hunting providing a unique motivator to head a field, mm-hmm. but not in competition with then once they've motivated to get a field, we can just be. Right. Yeah. Right. It, because what I hear you saying, and this is being talked about uh, uh, more and more, I've noticed, and they know they are able to explain it better than me, but I guess it, one way it's said I've heard is that in modernism, we had to ha- justify things' existence. Mm-hmm. And so it did make sense for us in the hunting community to try to, you know, say, well, you know, we, we, we need these lands and these wildlife for these reasons, right? But then sometimes those can fall on hollow and empty ears, and then we can, like a lot of people, um, we can maybe make two extreme statements versus just saying, no, this can just be, Right? Like there probably is a scientific reason why some obscure wasp exists in nature, and it's really cool if a graduate student wants to figure that out. Let's let me let me say a butterfly, uh, because actually C.S. Lewis talked about this. Um, we can also just say, I just that butterfly is just pretty. It could just be. I don't have to know how it interacts with the this that leads to that, which leads to this, which means we'll no longer have grizzly bears or something. I don't well, know. And that was what you Tolkien's know. point was is yeah. when he developed in the Silmarillion, the elves, that's what that story is encompassing. So there's three ages he talks about, first age, second age, third age, okay. and the Lord of the Rings takes place at the end of the third age. Mm-hmm. And at the fourth age is what he called the age of men. Okay, so the elves leave Middle Earth and they literally leave the existence, right? And there's a reason for that, and that is because uh, first age and second age was about the elves, and the elves are these eternal beings, uh, and their their whole point is they appreciate their artists, their creators. They create to appreciate, 
And so the you know their creation could be kind of in a magical sense. So these forests and the things that they worked on or whatever. But they were for art for its pure sake. They were for the art. Um, and uh, it was for that aspect of appreciation. And so what Tolkien was really saying is, it's kind of a bold statement to say, these things should exist for their own sake, and I'm not going to justify beyond beyond that. So the, the, just, the, just the fact that they, they, they exist is enough. I guess I get the image there of you saying, and, and I've kind of done this, but just to make it real extreme, can you imagine... You know, there, I don't know that this has been done recently, but, you know, there's been some famous debates. Like, let's say there would be a famous debate against uh, uh, the head of an anti-hunting organization and the head of a hunting organization, mm-hmm. right? I guess maybe what I, I'm kind of using this counselor phrase, what I hear you saying, um, but I got this image of the, of the hunting person responding to almost everything the anti-hunting person said with, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but man, I just, I just love being a field mm-hmm. in nature um, with that added element of a pursuit mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I just love it. I just love it. Instead of trying to justify that love. Because, you know, and I've actually been saying this on some forums and stuff. And I'm not trying to be catty and cagey here, but I guess maybe I am a little bit. Not to get too edgy, you can edit this out if it is, but we live in a day and age where you're supposed to not criticize people for the things they love. You're supposed to say, well, if you, know, if you love it, you love it. Dude, I, can't, I can't take away from what you love or who you love or how you love on it. Well, okay, then that applies to my hunting because I think that's the, the tripper, you know. Um, well, there we... is, you got to be in it to understand it. Well, and the things that the we in it, you're by telling the way, you just real quick in it, not do it. Because right. my mom's in it. My mom's never hunted anything, but but she sees what I do. I was out there last weekend. She saw me running around mm-hmm. that place like a busy bee, mm-hmm. doing globally, ultimately pointless work, but for the but motivated ultimately by hunting. Mm-hmm. You know? Being like you said, a field. You're talking about the anti-hunter. Is not, I think, what is, uh, you know, the, the the discussion of that difficulties. Is a is a good one. Uh, wrestling with that nature and talking. Mm-hmm. We talked about the temperature and the altitude. Um, is a good thing because, you know, the elk and. Uh, it, it's not like you just run out there and just start firing away. It's not possible. You talked about, I mean, the training involved and all these things. I think that, you know, um, man, and I maybe had it better in my mind before I rambled a little bit, but that would be also part of that <clears throat> response is I get where you're coming from. Um, but man, it sure isn't easy. And, uh, and that's, it's, it's more than just, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know if I'm saying it, you know. You, you well. are, um, and I don't know exactly how to say it either, in, in, other than this is sort of exemplary, not some mass movement or something. But there have been some profound examples of anti-hunters agreeing to go on a hunt. And, and, and it's not even a long and hard process. They very quickly come to appreciate it. And, and they're not necessarily a shooter, you know, but they're, they they go on the hunt and, and, and they, I mean, very quickly just see the love, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, just to give a shout out, there is a book called Call of the Mild. And I don't remember the author's name. I actually heard her on a podcast I'll, recently. I'll make sure to look that up and put it in the description. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a book I read, I mean, I don't know, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the best hunting books I'd ever read, and I never could find it again. And I kind of randomly heard her on a podcast, I think the Hunt to Eat podcast, but anyway. Um, and, and, and I don't remember the level of, I don't know if she was such a non-hunter that she was an anti-hunter. I don't know that that's the case, but she definitely <clears throat> was coming into it, you know, very new. 
and talks about this journey and just wonderful, just wonderful um, to be able to see this and to, and to you know, kind of realize that we definitely have some, I will call out my community and myself, we definitely have some portrayal problems sometimes. We definitely say things in the moment that, that are just rude, you know, I mean, modern, it, uh, we live in a modern world with modern sensibilities. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, you and know, things just, just a, take on new meanings. Yeah, you, you know, know, and we just um, and and because and I'm not giving any because I'm just not trying to call anybody out, but or make anybody have to defend themselves because right. because I've I, I've I say I've done it. Maybe I do. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess you know? we don't actually. You know, I don't think it's uh, you know kind of that. We don't know how what we say comes across. Uh, there's such a plurality of. Of society now yeah. that we, we just don't know you can't yeah. even pretend to know and so you, you but we can be you know. careful I know no we can I'm not yeah. saying no no I know you are I'm not be careful you. yeah yeah but uh, in being careful <coughs> I mean yeah I mean we can accidentally you know step on a toe you know yeah. you know and so and, and 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 we don't have to get all defensive and, right. and can just say mm-hmm. yeah I didn't, I didn't think about that you know, I didn't. Yeah. I just, it's a phrase I've heard people yeah. using for forever, and I just kept using it. You know, Which is there's good, lots it, of those in hunting. It's a good and fish. experience that we're in, you know with Hunt Fish Thrive is that uh, that we can say, hey, we can be humble in all of our approaches, and if, as long as everybody's coming together, that's why you say, hey, send me an email, let's talk through it, whatever. Um, you know, if there is a, a, a thing, um, is very important, and uh, and it requires all parties to kind of. Not start with a, on a defense. You know, start from a um, from a. All of our intentions are good. Your intention is good. I'll give you that. I need you to give me the same benefit of the doubt in coming together and discuss X. So right, little little uh, counselor social you know? skill thing, right? Quick. Yes, yes, exactly right. And I'm going to give you. This, this, oh, let me actually use, Brene Brown talks about living big. I think I might have talked about it on one of these. Boundaries, integrity, and generous assumption. So I will give you the generous assumption that you're coming from a standpoint of love. Mm-hmm. Like it, let's say the anti-hunter. Right. Yeah. And I would like that from you, but I'm going to, because that's what would sink the ship a lot of times mm-hmm. right there, right? Not that, the, but the, the the hunter in this case might think, but you're not going to give it to me, so I'm not going to talk to you. Or the or the teenager may say, but Dad's not going to give it to me, so I'm not going to ask him. Or or the mm-hmm. wife may say, well, he's not going to give it to me, so I'm not going to ask him. Right. No, that's integrity. We do the right thing without expectation of their reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you that generous assumption, and I'm just going to go into this as if you believe I love, and I'm coming from the standpoint of love. And, and even if you don't buy into that, and even if you never reciprocate there, it's going to be a different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I will uh, get a little wild here and do a bit of a social experiment on uh, the internets and have a debate about something in hunting or, mm-hmm. or fishing. Mm-hmm. And I had one recently. And I have a, a friend of me out there. I think I might know him in the real world, mm-hmm. but we only know each other by our handles. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he likes to come at me when he can no longer debate with me. He, he, he third parties himself into these debates. I've never had a debate with him, but he likes to third party into these debates. And, and, and I know he's on the other person's side when he tells me, uh, you can't change people by debating with them on the Internet. And I don't respond because, you know, that, uh, you know. But I'd li- I fantasized about saying, well, first off, you may not be able to change people on the Internet, but I actually have a long history of, 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 of that. But second, and here's the point I'm telling this story, because back to talking to the anti-hunter. Let's say they never do treat me with the due respect or, or whatever. <clears throat> Some people that are listening that think they're on her side but are actually more on the fence than they realize, they'll notice that I don't catfight or, or tit for tat or whatever. Right. They'll notice. And my point is, I guess, with that, that uh, internet thing, 
is, is uh, I'm not trying to change this person I'm in a debate with. Uh, but there's the silent majority who's listening yeah. and watching and observing. And to just give them some food for thought, really. Not even trying to change them either, because I, mean, I don't even know. You know I'm a thinker, not a knower. Um, anyhow, I don't know. And that might not stay in. Hey, real quick, I've been wanting to say this a couple times, and then I don't know if I have anything other... million dots I haven't yeah. made and sure. T's crossed. You keep saying uh, be and do, and I love that. Um, you're reminding me of something I wish I talked a lot more about. When I was in the Army, and they may still use this terminology. I don't know. I haven't been in the Army for 20-something years. Um, but when I was in the Army, the, 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 um, the foundational principle for being a non-commissioned officer, for being a sergeant, for being in charge of training and small unit um, mission carrying out mm -hmm. was a concept called be, know, and do goes right along with what you're saying. And, and one of the elements of it was being, it, one of these is not enough. Now you're going you're gonna to slant towards one or two of them, right? Mm -hmm. But you need to be fluent or competent in all of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's a struggle for me. I struggle as a doer, very mightily struggle as a doer. Um, I, I, I'm a, <coughs> now I seem like a knower. I, 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 I like to believe I'm a beer. You know, but 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 probably you know. Obviously, the way I present myself is is knower. Um, you know, so so there's definitely something to that. Yeah, I, I like how you're bringing out that balance of, of 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 being. You're really saying it. You're talking about being and doing. It's all in the context of knowing. So you've yeah. sort of unspokenly been been then. Well, and I'll the tie it, I'll tie it off by talking token. Then I'll have you give us a kind of wrap up here. Okay. Um, but uh, in I didn't I haven't got this, but apparently because I'm rereading, um, you know Gandalf spends all his ages in the doing, and he never has opportunity to sit with Tom Bombadil, and he says, uh, and before he leaves Middle Earth forever, uh, he says I'm going to go sit for a very long time, and uh, we're going to share. I'm going to share about the doing, and I'm going to learn a lot about him sharing about the being. Uh. and I think. Maybe that's a discussion. Maybe Tolkien is both Tom Bombadil and, and also Gandalf. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Because there was the doing was important. Uh, because Tolkien talks talked a lot about having to shelve the project um, for the doing and then coming back. And so really the, you know, writing Silmarillion and, and all the stuff that he created was really a, just part of the being. Yeah. You know, and those two parts to it. But... The, the two coincide as a kind of a yin and a yang. And if you go into being too much, you, ha you need to float uh, into doing. And I mean, Jordan Peterson talks about um, from chaos to order and the yin and the yang. And uh, you, you go into order long enough before you, your gut pulls you back into chaos because we need both. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, an endless cycle between doing and being. And so... And floating between both. So, anyways, yeah. uh, there's some yeah. there's a there's a field I'm fascinated in called interpersonal neurobiology. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I've mentioned this, um, uh, where Dan Siegel shows that the way our brain works, like mechanically works, is sort of parallel and reflective of the way our interpersonal relationships work, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that doing something about the one can affect the other, and that can get in a positive feedback loop rather than mm -hmm. a defaulted neutral or negative feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's it just defaults to neutral or mm -hmm. kind of kind of atrophies to negative. But if we'll do some mm -hmm. purposeful things, and and he doesn't use those exact same words, but every time you mention it, because he basically says an integrated mind, a mind that's working together well, is the goal, mm -hmm. and that comes through wrestling with things. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't have that, then it bounces between chaos, and he uses the word rigidity, but it, but it sounds like it's a very similar concept. And it can be helpful, back to what we were saying, when we're interacting with someone or ourselves and there's problems, to be able to say, okay, my, my graceful self can say, yeah, this person is being chaotic or rigid. That means they're struggling. 
and I can struggle against them or alongside them in support of them. And nobody really believes in support as agreement. You know, people say that as like a resistance, but I guess when I say nobody, first off, nobody's not a true statement. But I find in my counseling office that when teenagers, for example, are upset with their parents for not quote-unquote supporting them, and the parent says, but then he'll think I'm agreeing that, his, that this thing is okay, and, and, and I've just I've found that teenagers are like, no, I, I know. I know that's not the case. Yeah. You know. That's really good. Um, so, um, if and, had... and, and I guess maybe just to tie that off, mm-hmm. is it our, as the hunting community, I don't know how we got into the, now this anti-hunting thing, but is it our responsibility to make anti-hunters feel heard in this world? No. Mm-hmm. But it dang sure is our opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I believe when we hear them out, and not just listen, but, but even be able to say things like, yeah, it is a, it is a heart-wrenching thing to see an, a large animal, you know, a deer-sized animal, an animal that's as big as me, um, to see its life ebb out of it, you know, to, 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 to see that exhale, to see that blood run out. Um, but I will say to acknowledge also, yeah, that and yeah. to, and appreciate no no right. no anti hunter I I hear what you're saying you you take it a distance that I just don't take it and mm-hmm. and and we can actually prove that has a lot to do by the way with life experience or not not a lot of anti hunters that grew up killing chickens mm-hmm. you know it has nothing to do with hunting but mm-hmm. you know hey everybody thanks for uh, thanks for listening and and or watching if you're joining us on YouTube we appreciate you being here uh, before I let you go we've mentioned public land some and I just want to um, encourage you uh, so much of this hunt fish thrive concept or, or what we hope to become a movement is to create a, a supply and demand problem where so there is so much demand and desire for outdoor experiences that that we have a problem with our supply of public lands and waters and their quality and quantity. Um, So I hope you'll participate in preserving and restoring and even increasing our access uh, and opportunities on public lands. Uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, an organization of which I'm a part um, as a member and as a uh, board member and volunteer here in uh, our state chapter. is an organization that's that's doing specific work towards that. Uh, so if you're not a member, uh, uh, maybe go take a look and consider joining. If you are a member, uh, let us know. Uh, let your state chapter know and maybe get more involved in helping us do that. Uh, uh, or some other organization that does that, and there's many. So thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time.